Stand with me today as we're going to read from God's Word. We're going to read from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12. And we're going to read the first three verses. Excuse me, let me get there just a second here. All right. And you can read with me aloud. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you already for meeting us in this place. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and your presence. We want to be driven by your presence, not by the customs or the behaviors of this world. So we ask you to transform us, change us into the vision that you have for us. We thank you that we're created in your image and likeness, God. But as we were born with a sin nature, (laughs) the culture has done a number on some of us. But we thank you that you have bought us by the blood of Jesus and you have redeemed us and you have transferred us into the kingdom of your dear son of whom you love. And now we are no longer slaves to sin. So transform us by changing us from the inside out. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Today, we are in part three of this series called For Better, For Worse. And the time, um, the, the reason we're doing this, the reason we're talking about this, spending time looking at what God's Word says about our family relationships, is because back in December, we discerned that the Lord's direction for Seeds Church for this year was that we were to focus on making every home an altar. Can you say that with me again? I know you've said it every Sunday nearly since this year, but say it again. Every home an altar. We're making our hearts an altar. We're making our homes an altar. We're making this church an altar for the presence of God to come and dwell. Like for the presence of God to come and make his home in us. Why is this so important? making every home an altar, talking about this subject matter. Because we all know this, when when home isn't right, nothing is right, right? But if we can make a big impact in our homes, we can make a big impact outside our homes. I think it's important to define what we mean, what we're talking about when we say home. When we say home, what we mean is, 
It's like, there's, there's a few different things we could say, but first, first of all, I wanted to say this. Home is just where you are right now. Home is where you are right now. Whatever season of life that you're in right now, that's currently home. So maybe, maybe you're a middle school or high school student. Maybe you're a college student. Maybe not that long ago you just moved away from mom and dad and, and for the first time, and so you're adjusting to life in a new place with different people, or maybe you're getting ready to go into that season in just a few months from now, and you're going to have to figure out what it looks like to be on your own, but it won't be that way forever, but right now, that's what home is. Or maybe you're the parents of the college student, you know, and you're looking at your spouse wondering, how do we do this? It's a whole new season as empty nesters. And, and some of you are about to go into that season, or you're getting closer to it. You're a year away from it or whatever, and you're, it's already like kind of like in the back of your mind, you hear that voice, how are we going to do this? Maybe you're in a blended family, and you're just trying to figure out how to combine two different home cultures, family cultures together. Maybe you're a single parent. And you've got your own set of struggles and you're trying to figure this out, you know, with your kids and navigate all of this through your kids. Or maybe you're like me and home is married with children. Last week we talked about some lies that destroy marriages. And one of the lies that destroys marriage, we didn't really get to take time to dig down into this. I think I just barely even mentioned it as we were praying last week. But one of the lies that destroy marriages is... There is no hope for my marriage. The enemy wants to get us to believe that there's no hope for our marriage. And no matter what home looks like right now for you, no matter what your life looks like right now, at some point on this journey, you may find yourself asking that question. The question, is there hope for my home? Is there any hope for my marriage? Is there hope for my kids? And maybe right now, things are pretty good, and things are great, and that's wonderful. But I can guarantee just about at some point, you're going to find yourself asking this question, is there any hope for my home? Jamie and I, we found ourselves in that place over the years. We've got three kids, and there's been moments where we've said things like, you know, Is there anything that we're doing, is there anything that we're saying that's getting through to them? You know, will the fighting ever stop? Will the bickering ever stop? Will the overreacting ever stop? And let me just say, my kids are amazing. No, they are. I think two of them are in here now, and the other one is serving over in Seeds Kids. And uh, Jelana's a sophomore in college. Noble is about to graduate high school and just a couple of months, and then Jocelyn will be starting high school in the fall, and we're already planning all the graduation parties. You know, Jelana already had a high school graduation party, and I'm thinking about her college graduation party. We're going to have a high school graduation party for Noble, like just in a few months, a couple months. I'm thinking about in four years from now, we're going to have one for Jocelyn. We're planning all these parties for the kids, and then Jamie and I are going to throw ourselves a party. You know, because it's like, hey, let's celebrate. We did it. Somehow we did it. We raised them and we didn't kill anybody. Praise God. Let's throw a party. (laughs) And then there have been times 
in my life also in our in our in our home where it's like the same questions were being said. It's like, is there anything that that I that we're saying or doing that's getting through to them? And will the fighting ever stop? And will the bickering ever stop? And will the overreacting ever stop? And we weren't talking about the kids, we were talking about each other. We've walked through some stormy seasons of marriage in 23 and a half years. And I thank God it's by his grace and his mercy that we've weathered through those storms. Praise God. I know many of you have had the same testimony. And some of you, you're you're in that stormy season now. And I'm telling you, you're asking yourself, is there any hope for my home Maybe your situation is very serious. Maybe you and your spouse have have discussed even what it looks like, and you use the D word. We don't say the D word in my house. We don't use the word divorce. But maybe you're thinking about it, or maybe you've talked about it, and you're in a really difficult season, and you're asking yourself, is there any hope for my home? And I'm here to tell you today, yes. Yes, there is hope for your situation. Our God, the creator of the universe, the one who knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he is a God of hope. He redeems your past and your present, and he offers you hope for the future. No matter where you find yourself in life, there's always this opportunity to take a step toward God's hope. So home is where you are, but home is also where you've been. Home is where you are right now, but home is also where you've been because your home culture of the past has a tremendous impact on your home of today. Your past home shapes so much of what you think about life, what you think about your beliefs and your political views, your views on money, your views on work, your views on authority, and culture, and roles within the home, and so on and so forth, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can go on and go on and on. All sorts of huge issues in our life are shaped by the home that we grew up in. You might say, well, but J.D., I'm nothing like my parents because I didn't want to be like my parents. So my home culture is totally different. And that, that, that may be true, but your home culture today is a reaction to your home culture of the past. It's affected you in some profound ways. That's what cultures do. I heard someone ask one time, does a fish even know that it's in water? Or does it just think that that's, this is all that there is? And, and that's what culture does, right? You're, you're immersed in it, and you might not ever even think to question it because it's all that you ever knew. It's there all the time. It's what's normal to you. A few years ago, um, many years ago, <laughs> in my head it was a few years ago. In reality, it was many years ago. I was on a mission trip to Thailand. And we had this one evening where I think it was at the end of the trip, we had finished our ministry, and we were coming, we were out in the outskirts of the city. We were in a kind of a rural area, working with the orphanage and doing some other ministry up in the mountains. And we came back into the city on our way back home, and we were in Chiang Mai, and we went to this nighttime market, and it's like, man, it's just electric Thai culture everywhere, and it's really cool, and walking around, having a good time, 
and I see this guy with us. His name's David, and David was one of the leaders of the trip. David was his English name. Uh, he was actually a Thai national, and I probably couldn't even pronounce his actual Thai name. I don't know, um, but but David was having a good time, but it was not the same as the same time that we were having. Why? Because it was his culture. He was used to all of this. It wasn't like, oh, i got to take all this in. No, that was just like normal, just a normal Thursday night to him. But for us, it was like, wow, this is amazing. I've not experienced these kind of things, or I've only seen this kind of stuff in TV or on the movies, and here I am. I feel like I'm on a movie set. But for him, he's like enjoying it, but it's a different experience for him because it's just normal to him. And, and David had this, this paper plate in his hand. And, he, and he's eating off the paper plate what looks like funnel cake. I said, hey, David, what are you eating? He said, fried gu- grub worms. Fried grub worms. He said, do you want some? And I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> Why not try it? You know, I'm in Thailand, right? I'm not going to eat fried grub worms when I go home. So I tried it, tried a bite of it. It literally tastes like dirt. (laughs) He says, do you want some more? I'm good. I'm I'm good. You know where I can find a soda to drink real quick, you know? That was abnormal to me, but that was normal to him. I'm not eating fried grub worms for lunch today. I don't think any of us are. If you have that planned on your menu for lunch today, come down forward for prayer after the service, we're going to lay hands on you. Maybe you're Thai and I just offended you. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you need to pray for me. I don't know. But the, the deal is this, is that, that culture shapes you in ways that you don't even think about it. Like that was just a normal Thursday night snack for David. But for me, it was like, whoa, what is this? What is this going on? And your home has a culture. And your home has certain ways of viewing and experiencing life. And the fact is, is that this right here, your home shapes you in profound ways. Your home shapes you in profound ways. I remember one of the first times that I experienced family culture shock. Jamie and I were on our honeymoon. And we're on the first vacation together we've ever taken. And because of our different family cultures, we each thought differently about how vacation was supposed to be experienced. I grew up this way. I grew up in the culture of let's get to where we're going. We're going to leave at this predetermined time so we can get to our destination at the time that we planned. And we're going to start having all the fun activities uh, that have been perfectly timed and scheduled. My mom used to pack our lunches for the road trip so that uh, it would save time. You know, we didn't have to stop or drive through a restaurant or so we could just eat in the car. It would, it would save time on stops. And, and you know, you've got some of y'all have heard me talk about, you know, grew up poor. Like, not just poor, we grew up po. We couldn't even afford the other two letters. And uh, so <laughs> packing our own lunch saved us a lot of money, too, you know. But, it, but that was all intentional, and it was all like, we've planned this out, and this is what we're going to do. And Jamie's home culture was about, it's not really about the destination. 
It's about the journey. You guys seen those, like, the, the Harley t-shirt It says that? You know, it's like, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. You know, get on your Harley and just ride into the sunset. That sounds awesome. But I want to get to where I'm going, you guys, so I can have all the fun that's there waiting for me. And, and so this is her home culture. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. We're going to leave eventually. You know? We'll eat when we eat. We'll get there when we get there. She's back in the back right now. She's laughing. She knows it's true. <laughs> nothing scheduled. Almost nothing is planned, nearly. Unless, like, we're going in, a, like, to, in Florida where there's family and we may have to see family at some point, you know, and, like, well, we have to schedule that. But it's just like, let's go down there and let's just see what happens. Let's fly by the seat of our pants. And so we're on our honeymoon, our first vacation together, and what's supposed to be this blissful time, right? There's actually this undercurrent of tension between the two of us because we came from two different home cultures. Now, thank God, years have passed by, and we have worked together, and we have developed our own unique home culture that seems to better suit Jamie. And... Um, <laughs> No, it suits me too. I really, I, yeah. But there are still moments when we're on vacation together or, or other moments in life and things aren't happening the way that I think they should happen. And I find on the inside of myself just getting a little irritated about that, you know? What is that? That's my old culture telling me that it's supposed to be one way and not the other. But in reality, in these kinds of cases, there is no right way or wrong way. Now, there are some things in life that are black and white, right? But in many things in life, it's like, well, that's just a different way of, of doing this. I, I'll tell myself of something that just happened this week. We're in the morning getting around, and the family's, you know, milling around and getting ready for school, and we're getting ready for work and getting out the door for appointments, and, and the animals have to be fed. We have two dogs and a cat, and... I'm getting ready to walk through the laundry room out to the garage, and I'm looking over, and Jamie's getting ready to feed the animals, and she's doing it different than the way I would do it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm feeding the animals. And I just I found myself right there in that moment going, it's not the way that I would do it, but the animals are going to get it fed. It's okay. It's all right. There's not, there's not a, a wrong way or a right way to do this. The wrong way would just be to not feed the animals. So... It's the right way. She's feeding the animals. It's okay. It's all good. It doesn't matter if it's not as efficient as if I would have done it, you know? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. She goes, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. It's all good. Have a great day. It's all right. And that, that's not off on her. That's off on me. She wasn't doing anything wrong. It was just that it wasn't the way that I would have done it. Right? So there's all these things. Where does that come from? Well, that's the wrong way. No, not always. Where does that come from? It comes from the culture of your past, your, your past home culture. So what's important for us to realize is that this, the home of your past affects the home of today. And that also means that the home of today affects the home of your future. Yeah, tomorrow. 
however you want to say that. In Exodus chapter 30, uh, no, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 34, Numbers chapter 14, these are three areas specifically, but they're scattered all throughout the scriptures. God tells us what we do today will have an effect on our home, on our kids, on our grandkids, and even our great-grandkids. Generations. So the big question that we need to ask ourselves here is, what does it look like to make my home an altar, right? Or if we want to use the language that we've been using this morning, we could say it this way. What does a real Jesus culture in my home look like? What does a real Jesus culture in my home look like? This question is so paramount because this, if your Christianity doesn't have an impact in your home, what good is your Christianity? Over the last few generations, many young people have been exiting the church, and they've been exiting the faith, and they've been leaving, and they've been, they're, you know, the, the new term now, the, the last couple of years is, our, my faith is deconstructing, or I, you know, whatever. And why is that? Well, there may be more than one reason, but I think one of the reasons that some of them have walked away from the church and some of them have walked away from the faith is because maybe mom and dad professed a Christianity publicly, but they didn't live it out at home. Maybe they argued for the sanctity of marriage on Facebook, but they didn't fight for the sanctity of marriage in their own home. If your Christianity isn't making a difference at home, what good is your Christianity? And so we need to feel this urgency about developing a real Jesus culture in our homes. And that if we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then we can change not only the culture in our homes today, but it will affect our family tree for generations to come. And I look around the room, and I know many of your stories, and I, and I'm, I just want to just say, keep going. Keep doing it. You, you, brother, are changing your family tree for the glory of God. You are changing your family tree for the glory of God. You, Tim Cole, are changing your family tree for the glory of God. Just keep going. Just keep t- putting the next foot in front of the other. Don't give up. Some, we're going to hit these moments, guys, gals. We're going to hit these moments and go, is there hope for my home? Yes, there is hope for your home. Do not quit. Do not give up. Keep putting that, that foot of hope in front of the other. Because it's going to not just affect your home today, it's going to change your family tree for generations. That's why it's important that we do the work of making our homes into an altar and and not waiting until later. Because if we wait till later, we may not have the same opportunities that we have now. Well, I'll wait till next school year. No, no, no. Start today. If you wait till tomorrow, you're going to, have an opportunity past today. 
So how do we do this? How do we make our homes an altar? How do we establish a Jesus culture in our homes? There's a couple of different approaches. There's a lot of different approaches. But I want to talk about two. The first approach that I want to talk about is the what not to do. It's a poor approach. The second approach that I want to talk about, it's everything. Here's the first broken approach. Abdication. Abdication. That simply means a failure to live up to a particular responsibility. Probably one of the more famous examples of abdication in modern history is probably King Edward VIII, the Duke of Windsor. He was king of England for less than a year. Almost a year, but not quite. Uh, January 1936 to December 1936. And, and less than a year. And why is that? Because King Edward loved a woman who had already been divorced twice. Her name was Wallace Simpson. And, and as the king of England and as also at, you know, the head of the Church of England, at that time, it would be very scandalous to be married to someone who was divorced twice. So he gave up the crown in order to pursue the relationship. He abdicated the throne. He abdicated his royal responsibilities. And you might think, well, isn't that what, you know, Prince Harry's doing? Yeah, kind of, but he's not, he's not really in line to be king very soon. You know, some, some terrible things have got to happen. But, but King Edward was on the throne. He abdicated. He didn't live up to his responsibility as king. And sometimes we abdicate our responsibility in making our own home an altar. Sometimes we abdicate establishing a Jesus culture in our own homes. There's two things that we need to know about our homes. The first one is this. Your home does have a culture. It does exist. You already have one. You, ha you have a way of living and being and doing in your home. The question is not whether or not your home has a culture. The question is whether or not you're being intentional about building the culture in your home. The second thing that we need to know is, is that a healthy home culture never happens by accident. You don't just wake up one day and go, you stumble out of bed and you found, oh, everything's perfect. <laughs> everything's falling in line. And, and when I say a healthy home culture, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a picture of health, which means sometimes there is tension. Sometimes there are arguments. But how, how are, is that tension resolved? How are those arguments happening where the, you come to understanding? I'm not saying even always agreement, but at least understanding. So if our goal is to have a real Jesus culture in our home, it's not going to happen because we just accidentally stumbled into it. It's going to happen because we're intentional with the kind of home culture that we're going to establish. Now, Some of you are sitting here and you're single people. Some of you are junior high, high school, college age. Maybe you're even beyond college age, but you're single. I want to tell you, you need 
to get a hold of these truths today. Because if you can get a hold of these truths today and start developing wherever you are right now is today home, right? We said that earlier. Wherever you are today is home. So even though you might be, you know, a sophomore in high school, you have a home culture that you can develop in your heart today. And you can set your face toward Jesus. You can set your face towards the word of God. And you say, this is how I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to be. I know this doesn't happen by accident. Uh, I don't follow Jesus by accident. I follow Jesus because I'm purposeful about it. And, and when it's time for me to come into a relationship with, uh, with a per- person of the opposite sex, and I'm figuring out, is this person going to help me love and serve Jesus better, and can I help them love and serve Jesus better? You, these are the questions and these are the thoughts that you need to have already formulated and determined in your mind, because if you can do that, it's going to save you from a world of hurt, and it's going to set you up to lay hold of good things that God has in store for you. So don't check out when we're talking about these things. Be engaged. From time to time, Jamie and I, we're doing life, we're with our kids, something happens, and we just hit the pause button in life. And we, we, ta- we just stop everything that's going on, and we say, it's time for a life lesson. And sometimes, every once in a while, this will happen in reaction to something positive that we just witnessed. Uh, and not even just within the family, but just in life. And what's going on around outside of just, you know, we're just in an environment and we see something and we go, pause, life lesson. Sometimes it's in, in reaction to a positive event. Some, oftentimes, it's in reaction to a negative event. And we say, pause, life lesson time. And I know some of you have actually been with our family when we've done this from time to time, and you know that I talk too loudly in public sometimes. And uh, I remember one time I was doing a life lesson, and I was talking about how not to be, and the people uh, that I was talking about how not to be kind of overheard a little bit of what I was saying. And then they shouted at me and were offended. (laughs) But I was still right. And they should have listened to what I had to say. It's true. But, um, and, and so we, we take time, we stop, and we pause, and we have these life lessons. And, and why do we do that? Because we want to be intentional about shaping our home culture. And we want to be intentional about, like, you know, the, the, the proverb says that, like, that our children are like arrows in our quiver. Right, men? Well, you know, I can just go to sports and warehouse and, and buy an arrow that's pretty much ready to shoot. But in the time in this agrarian culture and society, you, you don't just go down and to sportsman's warehouse or academy sports and pick up a dozen arrows. You make your arrows. And that takes intentionality and time and work. And our children are arrows in our quiver. And if we want those arrows to hit the target in the bullseye, then it's going to have to take time and intentionality and work. And that's what we're doing with our kids. And, you know, we're, 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 we're establishing or at least in some cases we're reinforcing a particular culture in our home that we believe this is what we believe that God has called our family to. 
A few months ago, I was recovering from surgery, and I had a lot of time that I thought was just going to be marvelous time, just me and Jesus, but it's amazing. Um, it's amazing how just life happens to you, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Life just happens, and it just sometimes what you hope for doesn't happen exactly the way that you thought it would. But I did have some time. And one evening, I was watching something, and it sparked an idea, and it sparked something in my heart. And I felt compelled to write a creed of sorts for my family. It's not, it's not exactly a creed, but it is a thought-through, articulated document of part of the culture that I want to establish in my home for myself, for my wife, for our marriage, and for my children. And I want them, I want to impart this into them because as they leave my home someday, I want this to be ingrained and embedded and solidified and concreted into them. So the first thing I did is I just, just t- typed it out on this big long text and hit send and I sent it to, you know, Jamie and the kids in our family text thread. But then some weeks went by, and we're getting into the Christmas season, and I just thought, you know what? I want to level up on this. This is important. This is more important than just being in a text thread that they may or may not ever see again. So I took what I wrote, and I formatted it out, with some of our family pictures, family photos that we had just taken in October before my surgery. And I had it formatted to be printed on a canvas, and I wanted to give each one of them this as part of a Christmas present. So it's not not giant, but they each have one of these canvases, and um, I wanted them to hang it up in their bedrooms. I wanted them to take it with them when they leave my house. Jamie and I, we have a copy of it ourselves, and it's hanging in our bedroom right by our bedroom door. You can see it every single day as you walk through that door. Can I share it with you? Would that be okay? Uh, I have a picture of it here, how I formatted it, and I know you, there's no way in the world you're going to be able to read that, but that's what it looks like on, on the, the canvas. And let me just read this to you. Because I hope as I read this to you, I hope you, you copy it. I don't mean like verbatim. What I mean is like, I hope it sparks, I hope it sparks um, inspiration on the inside of you that you can like, Holy Spirit, what does this look like for my family? It says this, Dear Swillies, never forget what I'm about to tell you. There will be difficult and serious issues we're going to face in this life. You already know that. We've faced some pretty tough times together already. There will be moments when you feel as if you cannot handle the pressure. You may even think, it would be better if I just quit and gave up. There will also be some people in your life that will encourage you to give up. Forgive them, but don't follow them. They're weak. The truth is that you are strong enough to keep going, to keep fighting, and to keep pursuing what is true. You are tough enough to face anything this life, this culture, or the enemy will throw at you. You are a swilly, and we are strong. We do not run away from adversity, and we do not retreat when everyone else is ready to surrender. 
You may not always feel strong, but remember, you are a swilly, and we act with courage. To act with courage does not mean that fear is not present, but it is the will to take the next step in the presence of fear. I like what President Roosevelt said, Franklin Roosevelt said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Whatever you may face, by the grace of God, you can handle it, you can face it, and you can overcome it. Do not believe the lie that you are not strong enough. There will be times when you fail, but do not let it be that you failed because you quit. When you do fail, learn from it. Let it make you stronger, sharper, and wiser. Be a, these, now, these are my final words. Be a student of God's word. Know it inside and out. Listen for and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. These are the ultimate keys to life, overcoming, and being strong. You are a swilly. You are strong. You are courageous. I love you. Why did I write this? Because I want to be intentional about making my home an altar. I want to be intentional about cultivating a Jesus culture within my home. And so I want to ask you, have you ever bothered to even think through, what do I want the culture of my home to look like? Because it is up to you to establish the culture of your home. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He will lead you. But you just have to remember that God gives you the responsibility to follow where he's leading. A great example of this is when God frees the Israelites from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. God sends Moses. God turns the screws to Pharaoh. The Hebrews exit stage right, but, but notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't say, okay, it's all good now. Go explore. Live the life that you've always wanted. You're on your own. You get to figure it out from here. No, it's not what God did. God said, meet me at Sinai. Then what happens? God gives them the law. God gives them the Ten Commandments. What's that all about? Yahweh is revealing to the Israelites who he is, his way, his culture. And he's revealing to them Here's who I want you to be. Here's the culture that I want you to have. God was intentional about the culture he wanted to develop within his people. The Apostle Paul echoes the same sentiment, and he writes to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he writes in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. Like, be careful. Don't just let life happen. Don't just fit in. Like we read in, in Romans 12, don't just copy the customs and the behavior of this world. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise. 
which means you can. You can live as unwise, but don't do that. Live as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because if you don't, opportunities will pass. Why is this so important? Because the days are evil. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that it's incredibly easy to live without intentionality. We're so busy. We're so consumed. We've got so much to do. We've got lots of places to go, and we're just trying to keep up with it all. And it's really easy for life to just kind of happen to you. And before you know it, you turn around and months have passed by or years have passed by or, God forbid, decades have passed by. And maybe you haven't been intentional with the way that you've spent your days and your weeks and your months and your years. But God's word is saying to you today, don't do that. Like today, right now, it doesn't matter if it's been two decades and you've not lived it with intentionality for two decades. Don't let another day pass. Don't do it. Be careful how you live. Don't abdicate your responsibility at home. Opportunities pass. You know, culture is like a river with a strong current. And I, and I, I don't mean just like just the culture of your home. I mean the culture that we all live in, this world. It's like a, a river with a strong current. And if you get into it and pick up your feet, it's going to carry you downstream and you're going to find yourself somewhere where you don't want to be. I'd say that a lot of us, we've abdicated to shape the culture of our home and it wasn't on purpose. It just, it just kind of happened because we weren't intentional. It happened on accident because we just kind of picked our feet up in the river. Some have picked up their feet in the river and they've abdicated their responsibility to cultivate their marriage. And now their marriage is wedged under a log in the river. And it's all that you can do to keep your head above water to keep breathing right now. Know this, that a healthy marriage doesn't happen by accident. It's work. It takes intentionality. Last week, we talked about the lie that the enemy wants us to believe that destroys marriages, that, that oh, marriage is just 50-50. You do your part, and then they have to do their part. If they don't do their part, then you don't have to do their part. That's a lie from the enemy. Marriage is 100-100. It's all in all the time. And if you feel like your marriage is drowning, ask God to throw you a life preserver, and he will do it. Do you want to know what this life preserver looks like? It looks like, it's not just some kind of, oh, this is a cool metaphor, a life preserver. No. What is a life preserver? That God wants to throw you, to help you. God's word. Be a lover of God's word. Psalm says, hide it in your heart so that you would not sin against him. Bury it so deep within you that the enemy can't take it from you. Know what it says. Do what it says. Prayer. We've read the word of God. Now we're praying the word of God. We're, we're saying, God, here's what's going on in my marriage. 
I know what your word says. Help me to, to believe it. Help me to obey it. Being led by the Spirit. So we, we've read God's word. We've prayed. And now he's going to tell us some things to do. Now we have to do them. We have to be obedient and get in community. You, you, listen, God can throw you life preserver, but I don't want a three-quarter preserver. I want the whole shebang because I want to get out of the river. I want to survive. And if you're going to do that, you need this. You need your church. You need your life group. You need maybe some of us need a good Christian counselor. Godly people around us that will help us pull us out of the river. Help us put our feet down. Some of us have made the mistake of abdicating responsibility to develop our children's spirituality. And and we've just passed our kids off or we've just passed our teenagers off and drop them off at Seeds Kids or drop them off at Youth Group. And we've just thought, well, you guys do this for me. But it's not the church's sole responsibility to train your kids spiritually. It's yours. The church exists to partner with you, not do it for you. And if it ain't happening at home, how much of what's happening at church is going to stick? Don't abdicate your role and your responsibility to establish Jesus' culture in your home. Abdication doesn't work. But you know what does work? Transformation. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think. What's all that? That's inward work, not outward work. We've got work to do on the inside. God, transform me. It means means God's got something to do, but it's on the inside of you first. The approach that some have taken with Christianity is this. God, I just need you to come fix my problems, but I'll be over here, and you can do all the stuff that you need to do, and you can just leave me out of it. I'm all right with doing things my way because I kind of like being in control. But you do your thing over there, God. I'll do my thing. And, you know, I know I have this problem over here, and I know it's not working out so well for me over here. So, God, just, just fix my marriage. Just fix my kids. Just fix this situation. I don't really want to talk about me. Let's talk about them. But I'm telling you that God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. I mean, it it is, God is God, and he can still use you. I mean, he used that Balaam's donkey. Is that... Is that how you want to align yourself with? Well, I'll just be Balaam's donkey. Well, that's pretty low. That's, that's not really, that's, that's, that's pretty low standard. Genesis chapter 12, God and Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, they've entered into this covenant relationship. We've talked about this. Covenant relationships are different than contractual relationships contractual relationships are low-level commitments. They're based only on what's mutually good for each party. 
but a covenant relationship says, I'm all in, all the time. If it comes hell or high water, I'm not going anywhere. Give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. Bring it on. I'm right here. And God said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God wanted to transform Abram, Abraham. He literally transformed his name, which was the outward representation of the transformation that was happening inwardly. And why did he do that? So that God wanted to do something to transform to him so that he could do something, a transformation work through him. I'm going to do something significant in you. I'm going to shape your family for generations to come. And everybody on the planet is going to be impacted by what I do in you. Wow, what if we lived with that kind of truth, that kind of revelation? That's what it looks like to make your your life an altar, to make your home an altar, your heart an altar. That's what it looks like to develop a real Jesus culture in your home. Lord, let it start in me. Transform me so you can impact others through me. If you're not transformed, and, can, and it's a continual work all the days of our life, transforming. If you're not yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification, then there's no way... That